Hey there, everyone. This is Pastor Ryan from Mountain View. I just wanted to take a quick second and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We we hope that this message just fills your soul. It fills your heart. Uh, we pray that this message impacts your life in some way, shape, or form, and the gospel just changes you. So thank you so much for tuning in for the Mountain View podcast. We hope you enjoy. This morning, I'm going to talk about a topic that might be relevant to you and to all of us. I've titled my message this morning, Traveling the Road of Change. Does that sound like it might be relevant to us? And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to chapter 24 of the book of Luke. Chapter 24 of the book of Luke. And, and I'm not going to get to it right at the moment, but you'll be ready when we get there, okay? And I want to kind of set the scene this morning for what's going on in this, this passage. Three days um, after the darkest day of their lives, two disciples are seen taking off on a journey. They didn't see the change coming to the world that they were headed, that they that they were now experiencing. You see, it was the sun rose on a Sunday morning, and three days before was the darkest day of their lives. Um, the Passover feast had been just completed. And everything that they had hoped for, everything that they had anticipated, everything they dreamed for was basically up in smoke. It was gone. As the sun rose on that Sunday morning, they were disillusioned. They were afraid. They were confused. They were trying to figure out exactly what was going on in their world. What had happened, what was taking place, where they would go, what it would mean to them. And so they take off on a journey. They'd, they'd, uh, they were decided, well, we just as well go home. We just as well leave Jerusalem and go back to Emmaus where we live. Now Emmaus was about a seven-hour, seven-mile trip approximately, which would take walking time approximately three to four hours, but... On this particular journey, it was probably going to take him most of the day. Prior to his arrest, Jesus had, had brought around him a band of uh, people, a band of disciples, followers. And they, they had absolutely believed that he was the Messiah, that he was the king. And in fact, they anticipated that he was going to be setting up his kingdom and that they would be a part of that. But just three days before this, he was hanging cold on a cross and then was laid in a tomb and lifeless, no hope, no future. All the dreams that they had were gone. His followers expected something completely different. They did not anticipate what they were experiencing or what had just taken place. Have you ever encountered a time in your life when life just hasn't worked out the way you expected it? 
Have you ever ex experienced a time in your life when life is just throwing you a curve that you just simply could not anticipate, had no idea it would happen, and all of a sudden the road just simply disappears out from under you? That's where these guys were at. That's where we're at at times in our lives. You see, change, change is inevitable. It's, it, it's a part of life. We cannot separate ourselves from life and change. Every day there's something that will change in our lives. Change is sometimes is small change. Sometimes small changes make a big impact. For example, you know, I hate it when my wife sends me to Costco to buy something. They always move the cheese. I mean, don't you hate it? You go to the grocery store and they move the bread or the snack aisle and you cannot find what you knew was there a week ago? Or maybe you go to the doctor and you find out that they're, you know, you've got, you know, high blood pressure and so the doctor decides to put you on a little pill and you're on a little pill for the rest of your life. A little change has big impact sometimes. But change is hard. I, don't, I think most people find change difficult. We find it challenging. What we know is that when change happens, it often changes everything else in our world. Sometimes a little change changes everything in our world. But change is normal. It's to be accepted, expected. It's something that we anticipate and we, we, we know is likely to happen, but we never seem to be prepared for it. It's been said that it's not change that we fear. It's the transition. It's not change that we find so disturbing and so confusing to us. It's the, it's the point, that it's the transition between what we've known to what we don't know. It's this unknown space of transition that leaves us a little bit disconcerted and frustrated and, and uncertain about life. What does this all mean? What does it, where do we go from here? And it's that transition phase that makes it so hard. We find it disarming. We find it alarming. We find mixed emotions. We find confusion. We find questions that happen. But the important thing about transitions is that it's like a chapter. Our book, our life is a chapter of our, a chapter of our life has come to an end and now we don't know what the cha next chapter is going to write and it's that transition and what we know is that how we leave one chapter of our life determines a lot about what, how the next chapter is written. It's that transition, that phase that we have to go through so let's pick up our story. And if you're in chapter 24 there, you can follow along with me. As we pick up our story, in verse 14, and I want to look, as we start here, I want to look at seven lessons for traveling the road of change. If you have a notepad, you want to kind of note them down, there, there'll be a little longer, maybe some of them. I like to make my statements a little shorter, but 
These are going to be a little longer, but I'll say them two or three times so you can remember them. But there are seven lessons that we can learn from this passage. As these two men are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, confused, disillusioned, experiencing the change, all their dreams and hopes were exhausted. And you'll notice there that as they were walking along in verse 14, it says, and as they were walking along, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now it's interesting that when Luke talks about this, when Luke expresses what's going on here, he actually says that there's more than just simply just a, a you know, simple conversation, but that the idea here is they're discussing. Now think about this for a moment. If you were one of these two disciples, you'd put all of your dreams and you'd put all of your aspirations and all your hopes in Jesus, and now he was dead as far as you knew. And as, you're, as you leave Jerusalem and you begin to walk towards Emmaus, towards, you know, you're bantering back and forth and they're asking all kinds of questions and they're, they're going through, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and the idea that Luke has is that they're, they're literally pretty emotional about what's going on in this conversation. Can't believe I was stupid enough to believe the he was really going to be the Messiah. I can't believe my, you know, and, and the conversation is going like this. And they're trying to figure it out. One of the things that tends to happen when we experience change is we try to figure it out. We try to understand it. Have you ever discovered that there's a lot of times you can't figure out the change? Can't figure out why it happened, can't figure out what's going to happen, can't figure out what happened, can't figure out what you should have done or whatever. The questions go on. And here's the first lesson. When your viewpoint lacks spiritual dimension, we are left to our own limited human understanding to figure it out. When we lack the heavenly dimension, when we lack the spiritual idea, when we lack God's perspective in our change, we are left trying to figure it out on our own and we can never figure it out. And these two men were walking along trying to figure out what had just transpired, what had just happened. I wonder if maybe they were living in the world of maybe, what if, or why. Maybe if we'd done something different. Maybe if we'd just wouldn't have fallen along or went along with the crowd. Maybe it'll return to normal sometime. What if I had taken more time before I said yes? What if I had just gone a different direction and would not have really followed along? So why did this happen? Maybe they were angry. Maybe they were grieving. They were probably asking why. why. Why can't things be like they were? Why can't things be back to normal? Why can't things be like they were? We can get caught up in the whys and the what ifs and the maybes. But oftentimes the whys, the what ifs and the maybes do not answer the questions. We're still left trying to figure it out because it requires heavenly understanding we can't figure it out on our own. 
In times of change and transition, it's hard to see beyond the limits of our own circumstances. Sometimes the pain, sometimes the confusion, sometimes the questions become so overwhelming that we find ourselves struggling with trying to make sense out of it and the circumstances overwhelm from the reality and the truth of what the experience can be about. You see, before Jesus was crucified, he had promised and he had told his disciples, he had painted the picture of what the future was to be. He said, I am, I am the Messiah. And they, he had painted the picture of what was going to be, but they did not see or even perceive or understand spiritually what he was really meaning and what he was really trying to say to them. You see, regardless of why and how change came about in our lives, God always has a purpose and a plan, but sometimes we don't see it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. The idea here is that there is, in many ways, we do not comprehend. In the natural human nature, we can't figure it out. But we can be certain that God has a bigger plan. Think about it for a moment. Most of you here probably know the story of Joseph in the Bible. He was sold by his brothers who became angry, bitter, resentful towards him, and he was sold by his brothers to slaves and they take by uh, uh, men traveling through uh, to from another country, and they were he was taken from them, and and many years later. As we see what happened with Joseph many years later, he says when his brothers come to him and he's gone through all these difficulties and all these challenges and all these, and his, and his brothers discover that actually he's still alive. And he looks at his brothers and after all these years, he says, though you intended it for good or evil, God intended it for good. Oftentimes, we do not see the perspective. It comes over time. You see, we, in, in Joseph's place, he did not view himself as a victim. He saw himself as a victor. He recognized God had a plan. One is never a victim when we approach life from Jesus' perspective. If you look at verse 15, we see the next lesson. It says, and while they were talking about and discussing together, if you will, debating back and forth, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The second lesson is, is that Jesus wants to enter our world of change, pain, question, and transition. He wants to enter it. Get the picture of what's going on. As these two men were walking along this dusty trail from Jerusalem to Emmaus, there's the only mode of transformation. There was no Teslas, there was no BMWs, there was no Fords, there was no, I mean, they were not there. It was just men on two feet and a few donkeys. Men and women on two feet, children. And as they were walking along and people passing, 
you get the feeling that what's going on is these two men are walking and they're battering back and forth and they're trying to figure out what in the world has just shaken our world so deeply. And as they're walking along, unaware to them, Jesus is probably just kind of trailing them. He's probably overhearing the entire conversation or at least getting bits and pieces. And probably as they've gone along, there's probably been some things that they've said that Jesus overheard. And it says that while they were there walking along, Jesus drew near and he went, went to them. Notice interestingly in this passage, these were not two of the 12 disciples These were just common, everyday followers of Jesus. They weren't one of the 12 that we read or hear so much about. They were just a common, ordinary person who followed and believed and followed Jesus. I find it interesting because sometimes we think that we're not good enough, that we're not special enough, we're not high enough, we're not prominent enough, we're not special enough that God would care that much. But Jesus cared enough, not just about the 12, but he cared about them all. Just like he cares about all of us. There's not one of us that is too broken. There's not one of us that's too too, uh, challenging. There's not one of us that are too far that God can't and doesn't care to enter our world. There are, and it's interesting because even in the scripture, one of them is named Clophus and the other one, there is no name. Jesus cares about the no-names. He cares about the nobodies. He cares about those who just are not certain that they're really valuable. And in this day, Jesus came alongside those two guys, the nobodies, the kind of the -the out-of-the-sight kind of followers of Jesus, the ones who, and he came alongside and he came up to them. He cared about them just like anyone. Jesus does not pick favorites. And another thing that's interesting is that although they were, notice, they were, they were walking away from their faith. They were not walking back towards Jerusalem. They were not walking to a place where they they, where Jesus had been and where he's, they were walking away in disillusionment and in despair. They were walking back home. In essence, they were walking away. I have no clue what just happened in this chapter of my life, but apparently it's wrong. And they were walking away in a sense of hopelessness and, hopelessness and despair and, and lack of faith. You know, there's times in our lives when we face change, when our faith is challenged and we find ourselves walking in the wrong direction. And even in those times, catch this, Jesus still wants to walk with us. He's not alarmed by the questions that you have. He's not alarmed by the the, the, chan- the, the uh, confusion that you feel. He's not even alarmed by the language that you may use. They had probably said some pretty nasty things. Have you ever thought at times, if change didn't happen, have you ever said or thought things that maybe you sh- feel embarrassed about later? Later? 
these two men were just like you and me. As they were walking along, there's not a doubt in my mind that Cleophas says, you know what, I can't believe that in whatever word he used. Talking about Jesus would do that. He set us up. He was a fraud. And Jesus is trailing behind them. He hears it. He's walking in the same direction that they're walking. Notice the next thing that he happens is he comes along, he comes up to them, and he says, as they begin to walk, he says, so what are you guys talking about? <laughs> so what are you talking about? He's overheard, likely heard the conversation. So what are you talking about? They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. And it says that at that moment, they just literally stopped. What are you talking about? And, and notice, this is why the journey took all day. Because they kept talking and stopping. And what happens is that when they stopped and asked, he asked them a question, what are you talking about? And they stood still, and it says they stood still, still sad. And I get the impression that Cleophas and the other disciple just stood there, and, and basically they stopped. When Jesus says, what are you talking about? They just like stopped. And Cleophas says to him, really? You mean you don't even understand, know what's going on? I mean, the biggest news event of the entire year has just happened. It's been on CNN and Fox and CBS and ABC. It's been on them all. Twitter's been, you know, it's been lit up. You haven't heard it? I mean, Cleophas is like, seriously, dude. And so then they begin to explain to him, says, well, are you really, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of funny how Cleopas says, well, are you only visiting Jerusalem? I mean, like, are you really from out of town? And it's kind of interesting because as he goes on, and then, then, then as he talks, he begins to explain. Cleophas goes through and he begins to tell him, says, well, here's what happened, you know, and I won't read it all, but, you know, he told him what had happened, you know, that King Jesus had come and that the, all the, spirit, the leaders had gotten opposed to him and everything and they'd finally gotten upset to the point that they crucified him and, and he was literally hung on a cross three days ago and then they put him in a tomb and then we came back the other day and, you know, and some of the ladies from our group said that they went to the tomb and somebody said he wasn't there. But we still haven't seen him. And, but Jesus was interested in exactly whatever they were thinking and feeling. Do you know what? Jesus cares about what you're thinking and feeling when you're facing change that you don't understand. He's concerned about what you're talking about, what you're thinking. And it was in this point in time that they literally understood what there was a, there was a, there was a kind of a healing thing that happened here. 
because it was in the moment of this complete disclosure as they poured out their heart, they poured out their pain, there was something kind of therapeutic that happened. And interesting, have you ever had a conversation with someone? In fact, I remember one of the first times when I was pastoring that there was a person, a person, a family came into the office and we were chatting and they were dealing with some things in their family. And in the process of that, they kind of just begin to unfold all the things, kind of puke out the stuff that had happened in their life. And I, it was the first time that I had ever encountered as a pastor what the, a person dealing with an incestual rape kind of a situation growing up and an abuse. I had never been experienced to that in my life. I didn't grow up in that kind of family, I hadn't grown up around that. But as a pastor, as I listened to the story, there was something that happened. I found my heart just becoming more sympathetic and more caring. And that's what happened here. As they poured out their heart, Jesus' love and compassion just overflowed towards them. That's what happens in this, in our change. The next thing that we notice here is that the third lesson comes in verse 21. And it says, but they had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So what's the third lesson? The third lesson is this. Our own agendas determine our expectations and often sets us up for disappointment. Let me read it again. Our own agendas determine our expectations and sets us up for disappointment. Sometimes we have our own ideas about what we think should happen. And our own ideas about what we think should happen, what we want to happen, what we anticipate happening, our own agendas kind of creates an expectation that if that expectation is not realized, all of a sudden everything in our world falls apart. Many disciples made the mistake of thinking that when Jesus said, that his, he was setting up his kingdom. They were thinking it was an earthly kingdom. But in fact, it was not an earthly kingdom. But their expectation was different. And their expectation set them up for feeling disappointment and failure. They had hoped that Jesus would bring Israel back. They were hoping that they could go back to the good old days of David and Solomon. Have you ever hoped for the good old days? Sometimes we anticipate or hope for the good old days. That's what they, but it says, but we trusted. Catch this, but we trusted. Have you ever trusted and then discovered that the trust was broken? Have you ever put your dreams, have you ever said, I do? Have you ever said, yes? Have you ever said, and all of a sudden discovered that that job didn't work out, that relationship didn't succeed, that, and the list can go on, and all of a sudden it didn't happen. Unmet expectation sets us up for disappointment. They had lost all hope, they were defeated, they were thinking that they had really been duped and misled. They had fell, fallen for one of the biggest hoax of all time. How could we be so foolish? because their expectations had set them up for displayer. 
Life simply hadn't gone as they had expected. Living with broken agendas and unmet expectations leaves us feeling bitter in despair and often trapped. When we're living with an unmet expectation, oftentimes we get trapped in this, if it had only been different, or why did that happen, or why'd they do that to me? And that bitterness begins to become around us like a, like a trap that begins to suffer, suffocate us and trap us into this feeling of it'll never be. And sometimes we never find ourselves getting out of the trap because we never learn to trust again. We never... And we all of a sudden find ourselves caught, bitter, trapped, whatever. We're trapped living in a past we can't seem to get free of. We can never break, break free of the past until we're willing to relinquish our agendas and expectations and let God work his miracle again in our lives. I remember... Uh, a few years ago, my in-laws live in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, and across the street from them is, is an older couple, Dick and Pat, uh, Richard and Pat. And this was probably, I don't know, the first conversation I had with Richard was probably, probably 15 years ago, I, I believe. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Richard was, um, I think Richard's probably 80-something now, so he was probably 65, 70-ish, somewhere in there, might even be close to 90. But, but anyway, I remember the conversation. As, we're talking to, as I was talking to Richard, he and I were back and forth, and he was talking about his family, and, and then he began to recount how that his, you know, his wife had left him and, and uh the kids and that she had turned the kids bitter on, you know, towards him and all this pain that he's living with in his life and the struggles. And, and as I'm listening to his story and, and, and he's, he's pouring out all this, uh, this pain in his life, I'm thinking that, that, this, that this happened probably, you know, within 15 or so, 20 years, whatever. I mean, it's fairly recent. And when I asked Richard, I said, so... So how long ago was this? And it was nearly 40 years ago. Richard had never grown past the bitterness trap of 40 years. One of the things we talk about when I teach students in pastoral care is I say to them, when you're talking to people and you're helping them through challenges and tri trials and, and issues in their life. I said, one of the things you listen to is you listen to their story. And if somebody tells you a story and it tells you that story as if it's almost like yesterday and only to discover it's like many years ago, they've never, they've never progressed past that. That chapter was not closed in their life. And so sometimes we can find ourselves ensnared because we are living with the disappointment from our unmet expectations. The fourth lesson that we learn in this story is that when we fail to acknowledge Jesus' resurrection power, we lose hope. When we fail to acknowledge Jesus' resurrection power, we lose hope. Now think about this for a moment. 
What greater power could a person ever have than to raise from the dead? There's not another greater power than to raise, to take something that does, that's dead or non-existent and make it, create it and make it and bring it to life. Nothing greater. And when we fail to understand that we serve that kind of Jesus that has resurrection power, think about it. There's not a situation, a circumstance, a problem, a trial, a change, an issue that we face that we can't face with his strength and his power. So when we fail to acknowledge he has that kind of power, we find ourselves disillusioned. We find ourselves struggling. If these followers had believed that Jesus had been risen from the dead, two things would have happened. Now it's interesting because some of their friends had already said that, that Jesus, they'd been told that Jesus was alive before they even left Jerusalem. They'd been told by Mary and Martha probably that Jesus, the angel told them that Jesus was no longer there. He was alive. But they had left Jerusalem before they'd ever seen him. In fact, this is probably, this is really Probably the first time that anyone's seen Jesus, actually seen him. So the first thing, if they really had believed that, they would not have been walking to Emmaus. They'd have been walking back to Jerusalem. See, a lot of times our unbelief and our disbeliefs keeps us walking in the wrong direction. If we believe that Jesus has power, we may not understand it. We may be confused, but we're still going to lean and point ourselves towards Christ. We're going to walk towards him. But notice, I want you to understand, even though they were walking away, Jesus was still walking with them. But had they truly believed, they'd have leaned into his, that faith. They'd have leaned into that belief, but they didn't believe. The second thing, is that they would have been able to see that the trials, the difficulties, the crucifixion, the burial was all just simply a part of the plan. They had seen Jesus perform all kinds of miracles. They'd seen him answer prayer, but now they couldn't believe he would do it again. They couldn't believe that he would do it for them Jesus says, it's through the suffering that we learn to obey. Jesus, in fact, it says in the scripture that Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. See, some of us, sometimes we feel like we shouldn't have to feel pain. We shouldn't have to suffer. We should, but you know what? Suffering is a part of what it takes to get us to gain what God wants for us. Pain brings gain. Lesson 5 comes in verse 25. Lesson 5 says, Jesus will break his silence in our change in the right way at the right time. 
Jesus will break the silence. He will come into our change. He will come into our situation at the right way and the right time. And as scripture says in verse 25, and he said to them, oh, you foolish ones. Now listen, he's talking to these same two guys. Oh, you foolish ones, you're slow of heart to believe that the prophet has spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then he began from the beginning and he talked about Moses and the prophets and he interpreted all the scripture. Now I want you to notice when he says, oh, foolish, He's like, he's not saying, you idiot. He didn't come up and say, man, you really are stupid. It was a reproof. It was a reproof. It was like, come on. Don't you guys understand? I mean, it was with this sense of compassion and pleading and desire to help them understand. Jesus wanted to help them understand. It was a reproof of sorts, but it was a gentle reproof basically saying, let me help you understand. Don't you get it? I explained it to you when I was here. Let me explain it to you again. This is what was to happen. Moses did this, Abraham and Jesus comes on the scene and this is the plan and he recounted the whole story and he says, let me connect the dots for you again. Notice, they still don't know it's Jesus. They still don't recognize that it's Jesus. But he's connecting the dots. He's building their faith. He's trying to help them understand. He's trying to explain. You know what? We are, there are some things that happen in our lives we will never have an understanding, a complete understanding of it. It'll never make sense. There's other times that as we go through change over time, some thing, things will become more clear. We'll begin to understand and it'll make more sense. Have you ever gone through a change at one point recognizing it was the worst thing that ever happened in your world only to realize that a few years later it was the best thing that ever happened in your life? And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Let me help you understand. And so in the right way, in the right time, he began to explain it. Sometimes he brings a reproof. Sometimes he will just kind of connect the dots. But however he does it, he will bring about the understanding in the right way in the right time. To help the two followers see, Jesus reviewed the entire history of all the scriptures and what they meant, which brings us to lesson six. We must remember our true faith foundation. What Jesus was doing is he's bringing them back to the foundation bringing them back to the core. Let me just tell you what it's all about. And so as he walked with them through each of the steps, he was bringing them back to the foundation. He's saying, you know what? What was, what was true yesterday is still true today. He was helping them to understand. He was bringing them back to that core. It's interesting in dealing with change and transition. Grief and the unknown companion reminds this unknown companion, this unknown traveler, they still don't know him, reminds them of the foundations of their faith. Sometimes God will bring a person into our life that just helps us understand what's going on. 
But if you stay in the state of unknown and focus on you, if you are in a state of unknown, uncertainty, focus on the one or two things that you know. I, I, from, I remember a few times in my life when I've had to simply get back to the point of saying, God, I don't know anything else. Where the challenge, the difficulty, the problem, the circumstances were such that I just simply couldn't get, make sense out of it. And I had to just simply come to the basis and say, God, the only thing I know is you exist, you love me, you died for me, and you teach and reveal yourself to me through your word. That's all I know. Amen. And there's times that all you can do is just go back to the core and say, I can't figure it all out, but God, I'm still in the game. Amen. I'm still trusting you. And sometimes that's all you have to hold on to. But that's enough. But that's enough. He was bringing them back to the core. Remember your foundation in your transition. And number seven, lesson seven. Jesus reveals himself when we practice what we believe. When we just do what we know, as they were getting closer to Emmaus, they would get to the end and it was near, the Bible says that it was near the end of the day. It was probably getting dusk. They had taken, they had started probably eight, nine o'clock in the morning and now what would have normally been a four-hour trip is taking them about eight, nine hours. They've stopped and had these conversations along this trip. You have to understand there's a lot of stuff that's being, that's happening in this story because of the time. And they get near the end of, Cleophas and the other disciple get to their house and the normal custom of that day, the ancient custom was is that if there's a stranger with you, you would hospital, out of hospitality, you would invite them to stay with you. Still not knowing who this stranger was, they said, would you, not, would you like to stay or spend the night with us? And of course, Jesus accepted the invitation and he stayed. And it says, down, it says there in verses 28, it says, so they drew near the village to which they were going and he acted as if he was gonna go on further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards the evening and the day is now far spent. So he went into their home to stay with them. Now notice what happens. And when he sat down at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. And what happened? Their eyes were opened. When they did what they knew they should do, what would be the normal right thing to do? They invited him in. And it was in that context of just the foundation, doing the right thing, that they sat down at the table and think about it for a moment. They've got this table set. And as they sat there at the table, two, three, Jesus, they're both looking at Jesus. 
set some breads, drank on the table. And as and notice Jesus reaches out and he takes the bread and he breaks it. At this moment, the guest becomes the host. Jesus was invited in as a guest, but now he began to serve them. When you invite Jesus in, when you invite him in to sit at your table, to have conversation, to have discussion, to interact, when you do the right thing, maybe not even knowing it's Jesus, just doing the right thing, Jesus shows up. Just keep doing. In the middle of change, one of the easiest things to do is to forget the foundation and to forget to do what we already know we should do. Just do the right thing. Treat people right. Guard your tongue. Don't say things. Don't do things. Don't try to get even. Don't try to get back. Just do the right thing. And he invites them in and he sets at the table and, and the guest becomes the host. He breaks the bread and in that moment, their eyes are alive and they recognize him as Jesus. All of this trip, eight hours, they've been walking with this guy, no clue who he is. He's been walking with them, no clue who it is. And as they sit down and break the bread, does that remind you of anything? The Passover breaks the bread, gives it to his disciples. It's always been a symbol of hospitality. It's always been a symbol of service. It's always been a symbol of community. When you break bread, you're sharing relationship. And Jesus was saying, when they broke the bread, he, it basically, all of a sudden, it's like the video played fast through there, and all of a sudden, they began to realize everything that had happened had come to this. It was all for this reason. Don't you love it when that happens? When all the pieces begin to fit together? They begin to see it. They begin to understand it. And the moment they recognized him, he's gone. He's gone. But the Bible says he didn't leave them alone. Because he says, it's necessary that I leave so that the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. He will help you with all your change. He will deal with, help you with all your problems and your questions. He will. You see, if Jesus was a physical presence, he might be with Derek and I, but he was not with you. But because he is alive, because he is alive and the Spirit is here, he can be with you and you and you and you and you and you. And he can help us with all of our transition and all of our change and all of our questions and all of our problems. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus revealed himself, it was because they were practicing and doing what they knew was right. Jesus the welcome guest had become the host. 
Their eyes were opened. They were practicing what they knew was right. So how and what is the application? And I'm going to give you just real quickly how we can apply. What do we need to do? If we want to be able to uh, uh, travel this road of change, whether it's as a church, whether it's as an individual, whether it's as a family, the first thing we need to do is we need to invite Jesus in. Invite him in to our world. Invite him in. But I will tell you, even if you're going the wrong direction, he's still walking with you. The second thing I think we need to do is I think we need to surrender our expectations. Sometimes we have set ourselves up for despair and disillusionment because we have expectations that are not necessarily God's plan. We think things should happen a certain way, but what if they don't? Hold them loosely. Trust Jesus. I think the third thing that we need to do is that we need to seek God's perspective. We cannot understand it in our own. His ways are higher than ours. His are greater than mine. I think the fourth thing that we need to do is that we need to remember the core foundation. Just get back to the foundation. This book is real. Just get back, read it. Have you ever read it and it doesn't make any sense and there's no life in it and it's just like reading words on a page? It's still the word. It's still the bread of life. Pray. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when your world's falling apart, you want to stay away from people? Sometimes that's the, I mean, there's places, but we still need to be with each other. The community, the body of Christ, the family of faith is important to our process. Remember the foundations. Number five, remember God always journeys with us. Bishop Fryer, Catholic bishop, tells a story, writes a story in one of his books, book entitled A Dance of Hope. He tells the story that he was, he was tutoring a student, an older student one day, and was helping him learn to read, or, read, or reading to him and reading whatever, uh, helping him read. And in the process of the conversation, he's, it's a blind, it was a blind student. And so, the bishop said, asking me in conversation, he says, so what happened to your, to your eyes? And he said, well, when I, was a ch- when I was a young child, there was a chemical explosion and it burnt my eyes and I've not been able to see. And so they talk a little bit about all that and, and uh, he said, so how's that, how have you handled that? And he said, well, you know, I've, I've really been angry. He says, for the first month, I, st- I stayed in my room by my choice. It never came out. I didn't want to see people. It was just an extremely difficult period of time. And so he said, as the conversation con- continued, um, he says, one day a, cu- a curious thing happened. He said, um, I was in my room and it was towards the fall. And after 
several months of just keeping to myself and just not liking my world and not liking what had happened to me, he says, my dad came in and he said, he said, it's time to put up the weather, the, the windows for the winter. And he says, I want them put up, I want you to put them up and have it done before I get home from work today. I mean, it ticked him off. He's like, seriously, I'm blind? You expect me to put up the windows? And the longer he thought about it, the more angry he became and the more frustrated he became. And finally he's like, good, okay, I'll do it. I'll just go get the ladder. I'll fall off the ladder and not only be blind, but I'll kill myself or I'll get hurt worse. I'll just show them. His anger. So he got, got the ladder, went outside, and as he's putting up the weather windows, crawling up the ladder, he's mumbling. I hope I get even with them. He's, uh, he's angry, he's upset, and he finally figures out, he gets the window in place, and he goes to the next one. And he said, it wasn't until seven years later that I realized that the whole day that I was climbing up that ladder and I was angry at my dad and I was angry because I was blind and I was angry because of the change and I was angry and frustrated and whatever. He said, I realized that that entire day, my dad was only three or four feet away from me. You may be blind, you may be frustrated, your change may be debilitating, confusing, but Jesus is only a few feet away. Amen. He's right there with you. He'll walk with you. And though it doesn't make sense, it will someday. And so I encourage you as we conclude this service, and I guess if there's a musicians who want to come back, is that the plan? The plan here? Um, you may be here today you may be here today and you may be saying, you know what? Either I'm going through one of those kind of changes. I mean, I know your church is. Stay, stay grounded, stay to the core, do the right things, treat each other right, go through the process. But you may be going through personally one of those kind of changes in your life. And you may say, you know what? I am so confused, I'm so upset, I find myself angry. Or you may be saying, um, you know what, I've gone through a change and it's a long time ago, but you know what, I'm not sure I've actually closed that chapter in my life. And I need some help closing that chapter so I can move on because I'm trapped and I want to go forward. Maybe you're here and just saying, you know what, Lord, there's things I don't understand, but I want to, I just want to invite you in. I just want to invite you in. So, because I want to trust you. I want to believe you. I believe, I believe that, and I want to, I want to find your plan. I want to find your way. And if you are here today, and as we take a moment, if you're here today and say, you know what? I either am not making 
and dealing with the changes in my life as well as I should. Or you're here saying, I'm not dealing with the changes well. And I want to. Or maybe I have a change that's happened a long time ago and I'm still trapped in the bitterness and the confusion and the melee of all that and I need God's help for freedom. If anything's like that, is there anybody here that would raise your hand and say, that's me today. That's me. That's me. I want to be able to travel that path. And if there's anything else that you need this morning as we stand, if we stand together, and I'm going to pray, and as I pray, and if you would like for prayer uh, with this, then you would come forward and we'll pray, and then we'll sing just in a moment here. Lord Jesus, I thank you. If you'd like to, uh, others would like to come and pray, and other whatever, pray with each other, that would be awesome as well. That'd be great. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, because there's not a single situation or circumstance in our life that we encounter that you are not there with us. Lord, that regardless of the change, regardless of the transition, regardless of the issues, the questions, the problems that we face, you are there, you care, you want to have conversation. You're not afraid of our thoughts. You're not afraid of our, what we're thinking or saying. And I pray that you will give us the direction that we need and you'll give us the faith that we, we need to help us through. Give us insight. Lord, I pray for those that have come forward right now this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will meet the need as they lift that need to you right now. Meet that need. Reach out, Lord. Sit down at the table with them. Have that conversation. May their eyes be opened. May they have grace and strength and power to encounter whatever it is that they're dealing with in their life. And in the name of Jesus, I pray for victory. I pray that you'd bind the enemy that would confuse and discourage and destroy and to create depression and frustration. I pray that you'd release us from thoughts of bondage that bring bondage to our lives. In the name of Jesus, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing it together now. Thank you, Lord. And as we pray, thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, Lord.